Happy New Year, Tom. Happy New Year, Stuart. How are you? No, I'm very well. Uh, now, you're a, a massive drinker. Um, are you trying uh, dry January? I'm year? not. I'm not doing dry January because I don't actually drink really enough to feel like it's oh. worth it. I always think like the dry January is a bit of a like... Um, a way of saying uh, I have an alcohol problem that <laughs> I have to stop for a month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you may be right about that. But um, we are uh, doing Dry January on the study show, uh, everyone, because um, we're going to start off our uh, 2024 podcasts with the driest topic imaginable. Yes. Um, we're going to do... <laughs> so it we're could not do... be more boring. No, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very exciting. Yeah. We today are going to talk about statistical significance and mm. p-values and other things that scientists use to test hypotheses in their studies. Yeah. Um, now, you can blame several people have asked for us to do an episode on this topic, mm. so you can blame those listeners. Who we which uh, should, well, once us. again, we have failed to work out who yep. they are. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody will... at some point has asked us to do the, <laughs> exactly. these episodes. Um, um, and, so, uh, and so, yeah, this is, this is going to be an episode on that. So um, welcome to the study show, uh, a new year of the study show. My name's Stuart Ritchie. I am at, ah, well, I have a new job as of today, actually. The, 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 the day this goes out is my first day of the job. I'm, I'm, my name's Stuart from Anthropic. Yes, he's, he's, an, he's, a, he's a, one of our tech overlords now. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, and I'm Tom Chivers. I'm a science writer at Semaphore. Nice. Um, okay, so so what does it mean when we, we we often talk about statistical significance? What, what are we what are we talking about well, there? Well, Stuart, because I am obviously highly knowledgeable and a journalist and very good at these sort of these sort of things and write many books about the nature of statistics. I've always just assumed mm-hmm. that it, when something is statistically significant, it means that statistics show that it is significant. Uh, and so that's, <laughs> that's probably, probably the end of the episode, isn't it? We will uh, be coming to exactly what we mean. You know why it's called that uh, later on. Um, but but it, it kind of depends what you mean by the word significance, right? Because uh, I, I think there's a lot of confusion. I think that the, the sort of fundamental overall issue in this, that this episode is going to talk about is that statistics is actually quite subtle and complicated and difficult to use. And a lot of scientists use it in a very simple, straightforward, broad way and treat it as if it's very easy. And it's not. Yeah. And that leads to all sorts of problems and the sorts of problems that we've talked about you know in many of the episodes of um of this of this show the sorts of you know low quality studies and so on yeah um uh so 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 the, you know the the question we have to ask is what are we trying to do you know what what actually is it that we're trying to to, yeah. to do in a scientific study and i would say in science what we're trying to do is work out whether something, whether things are true, we've got some hypothesis and we're trying to work out whether that hypothesis is is correct or not, whether things are true or not. So like, you know, is the Higgs boson real? Are psychic mm. powers real? Do, mm. do vaccines prevent people dying from COVID? That sort of stuff. And on the whole, for any given hypothesis, we are going to use numbers to to sort of to do that. You might sort of imagine... I think sort of, you know, when you, when you ask kids, like, what do scientists do? They sort of, like, imagine them pouring one test tube into the other and, and you know, like, sort of occasionally one of them stands up and says, hooray, I've discovered Boyle's third law or something, you know, but they... Um, <laughs> Presumably it was Boyle that yeah, said that. Uh, one imagines, um, but, you know, who, who can tell? Who can tell, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but actually what you're usually looking for, and especially in social sciences, but also in life sciences and medicine and really... I think I think it's fair to say all science really. What you're ten, what you're usually looking for is a statistical tendency for more of X in in one group in group A than in than there is in group B. I mean, you know, more like in the Higgs boson, like search, searching for Higgs boson, more of particular kinds of particles emerging from collisions between one set, you know, in one kind of collision than in another kind of co- collision yeah, between particles, yeah. that sort of thing. I think there's some fields where these statistics are less relevant. So I think. Um, for things like we we talked a, a, a few episodes ago about the superconductors, yeah. I think in that kind of physics, it's not really statistical tests that you're doing in those. It's more, yes, there are numbers involved, but it's more you, you you're you're looking at for particular patterns um, of of, uh, of resistance and all sorts of stuff like that, which is not really the same kind of statistical test that we're talking about here. No, but I, um, I guess that'd be because the like the to some extent it's because the statistics would be so clear, like you know, that it yeah, either works right, exactly. or it doesn't. If, you don't need to if, look if, for subtle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right, exactly. And yeah. so when you're pouring the magic test tube in and it, auto, and it, and, and it changes colour instantly and stuff like that, you don't need statistics to, to tell you whether that's true. But a lot of science is a lot more yeah. subtle than that. In yeah. a healthcare condition, you don't need to do statistical tests on whether being shot in the head is bad for you because you can see right. very clearly in on you know just two or three tests, really, that, right. Um, right. that it really isn't good for you. So it's, it's the equivalent <laughs> to that, right? You know, um, and it, It's in fact silly to do statistical <laughs> yeah, the, tests yeah, yeah. On, on, uh, on, on a lot of uh, yeah, things like that. Things, it would be yeah. silly to do. Like there was a, there was a satirical paper a few years ago about jumping out of a plane um, mm. and whether it caused death. Whether parachutes prevented yeah. death in Claire. No, so there have been no statistical yeah. and we need to do some people jumping out with a dummy placebo parachute and all that sort of yes. stuff. Um, and it turned out that in there, and they actually did the experiment, <laughs> but it turned out that um, they didn't actually, like the plane didn't actually take off in the experiment. So they were just jumping out onto the grass. <laughs> okay. um, like, yeah, like, like, from, it's a lab So there was a, there was a, confounded, a confounding issue there mm. uh, with the study. But, but, it, but the point is, Lots of effects in science are very subtle mm. and uh, it's hard to pick them up. Um, and so we need to use statistics and yes. we need to do statistical tests. And uh, the, the, the most common way that people do that is calculating a statistical significance test and that requires a p-value. And that's where these things come from. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, I'm I'm going to do my best here, Stuart, because I mean you're the actual scientist, and I'm just some guy who interviews scientists. I have been at one point. A yes, scientist. that's true. You were previously a scientist, and then you gave it up for money. <laughs> have you? And fame. Are you today, or have you ever been a scientist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and walk through a scenario, and you can come with me and see if whether I'm sort of describing it correctly. Okay. So let's right. imagine you have a hypothesis. Um, I'm going to say that people who listen to podcasts called The Studies Show smell nicer than people who don't. That's my hypothesis. I do believe it. They smell like roses. Yes, exactly. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting people to rate them. You're getting people to like rate on a scale of one to ten or something. Yeah, exactly. How Whereas, nice they smell. Yeah, non-listeners tend to smell like manure and rot. Um, right. um, for the right. listeners, but your think... hypothesis is that non-listeners would have a lower score on the one to ten. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more yeah. straightforwardly. Yeah. So there's yeah. um what you'll have there. You've got that's your hypothesis. But by contrast, you have therefore a null hypothesis. What statisticians call a null hypothesis, which is that your hypothesis is false. There is no real difference. So in this case, that there they is just no... smell the same. Yeah. There's no difference in reality between these two groups. Yeah. Now, the problem would be that you can't actually test the entire population because there you'd have to test firstly all the tens of millions of studies show listeners um and <laughs> yes. also every other person in whatever the you know whether it's the uk or you know all other podcast listeners or the world or whatever you know yeah yeah yep. um for how nice they smell um and that's not practical right i mean given uh, what's our budget stuart for the <laughs> the budget for this experiment is uh, zero pounds, zero pence. Ah, so, okay, yeah, so uh, limited. Yeah. Might a be a limited bit tricky budget, to test yeah. the entire world. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, if anyone wants to fund this, uh, you know, if, if Welcome <laughs> yes. is listening to this or something, you know. <laughs> yes. um, so you have to instead rely on taking samples of your population. You take, you might take. I mean, uh, optimistically, you might take a uh, hundred studies show listeners and 100 non-studies show listeners mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then you might get them to come in and be smelt by some objective smeller you know <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah i don't know who that would be so you get you, i guess you get you, you employ someone a bunch of undergraduates or something like that to come and smell a them. dog a yeah, dog a is dog, good at smelling yeah, yeah. but do yeah. they have the same tastes and smells because i noticed yeah. that dogs yeah, like... tend to enjoy rolling in dog shit and smelling themselves yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah and, and sniffing urine yeah exactly yeah that's not the best uh, i'm not, uh, it's uh, not they, exactly the best taste test of our hypothesis yes exactly yeah. do dogs enjoy the smell of dog food for instance i don't know yeah um but anyway so you get someone you get a bunch of undergraduates you give them course credit and beer money for doing this, uh, this yeah, the, yeah, yeah. whatever um but so the problem is immediately and this has been known for a long time samples are not always representative of the whole because you might you yes. take a group of 100 people out of it and it might just be that they randomly for whatever reason possibly just ran you know possibly just randomly just differ from the population you've got on the whole like um mm -hmm. and very you know the so each sample you get will may or may not be uh, representative of the of the re of the actual population, and and then yep. so what you want to so the average in the population is is the true average in the population is is five. So yep. it, oh, the, the, the the smell rating of study show listeners is, is truly in reality is five. Yep. But this sample, for whatever reason, the average is. 7.8 or yeah, something exactly. right like like it's just different randomly and then and the, the trouble is that if you in a different universe took a different sample 
Hmm. You know, if, imagine there was a parallel universe where you took a different sample and did the same experiment, but in a parallel universe, it, you would get an entirely different number. Maybe you would get three point eight. You know, yeah. or, or 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 even in an extreme case, you would get you know one or something. Right? You get really wildly extreme uh, yeah. uh, results, or you might get one that by chance has a rating of five, which is exactly right. But it, but the problem is that you know every you time know. you take a, a, a sample, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, and you don't, and you don't know. I mean, uh, and obviously, the more people you sample, the oh, well, I say obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but it is the case that uh, assuming yeah. that you're sampling truly at random, the larger your sample is, the more likely it is to be close to your, um, yeah. to your uh, the true or thing. But you don't know when you take the sample how yeah. close it is, and that's what you're trying to find out. That's the law of large numbers you're talking about there, which yes. is you know larger samples tend all else held equal to to give a better representation of the uh, the, the the population that they're taken from, uh, and I, and I do say all else held equal because of course you can have a very large sample that's completely unrepresentative of the the population. Mm. So like famously in uh, nineteen for the nineteen thirty six U.S. election presidential election, so that's um, FDR yeah. and uh, his opponent who Alfred Landon. I'll give you, I'll give you ten. Yeah, Alfred oh. Landon. I'll give you ten points if you can tell uh, me. Unfortunately, who I, can, I, can, yeah, I, can, I can see it written in <laughs> front of me. I'm you've so, got it written down for yeah, you, yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think most people. One of those names that's sort of lost. The history. Republican governor uh, of Kansas, obviously, everyone knows that. Right, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but he's like a like a, a Michael Dukakis figure. Like yes. who remembers that name? You know, mm. the the magazine Literary Digest mm. um, did a poll, and they did a huge poll. They had they had two point two seven million people responding to this opinion poll, which strongly suggested that Alfred Landon was going to win the uh, the presidential election. But the problem was that it was a phone poll and phones at the time, this is 1936, were, were quite new to have in your house. Like It would be quite rare to have that. And it would be a certain type of person that would have that would have a that would have a phone. And also I think they used lists like people who owned cars and stuff like that to like find all oh, right find okay, the people yeah. to poll and stuff like that so there's there's all sorts of like biases in the in mm. the thing so even though it was a massive 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 sample it was completely biased so that's a different kind of sampling error bias that's, yeah that's a... there's yeah there's sort of random errors every time you take a sample and then there's also this bias that you can have in by having you know by having it non not representing the 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 population so these are these are all major you know problems yeah. that we that we have with um with with, with sampling. Just to finish the um, story, um, the Literary Digest yeah. uh, predicted a fifty-seven forty-three win for this forgotten figure, Landon. And yes. uh, since the fact that by the fact that he is forgotten, I suspect you know the outcome, <laughs> yes. which is that actually Roosevelt won in a huge landslide, 62 percent to thirty-eight of the vote. Um, Ouch. And, and I believe the magazine uh, pretty soon after that stopped. I think. I think. Just. I think. Yeah. Two years after that, it folded completely, and that was the end of that magazine. Ass of itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, and that, that yes. George Gallup, the Gallup famous Gallup poll, uh, was founded around then, and it took us. Uh, George Gallup, who was the founder, set up, um, took a sample of fifty thousand people, but made much more effort to make it representative, yes, representative. and right. did much better and got a more accurate result. Uh, predicted victory right. for Roosevelt. Right. So anyway. So, so that's a that's a different kind of thing. Sampling uh, bias is one thing, but sampling error is an, is is this other is this other kind of just inevitable random thing. Hmm. And and as you were saying, you can take your sample of listeners and non-listeners, um, uh, uh, but but because of this sampling error, the random the random errors that are, hmm. that are between the samples, you don't necessarily know if any differences. Like maybe you did find a difference. Maybe you find that. The listeners are rated a seven point five for their smell, and the non-listeners are rated a four point one. Do you know that that's due to a real, true difference in the population, or is it due to sampling error? That's the fundamental question. Yeah, and so uh, what? So what you need to do uh, is what is called significance testing or hypothesis testing, and that yeah. is about working out whether the numbers that you see are surprising, or at least, or would be surprising. If there was nothing going on there, if, if the if the null hypothesis was true, if there was no if the hypothesis you're looking for, the effect you're looking for wasn't real, you know that that's yes. that's sort of the idea, isn't it? Um, now I normally and to when I when I've written about this in the past, I normally talk about dealing with it with like coin tosses or dice rolls. That's a sort of easy way of of, of envisioning it. I'm I'm gonna tr- let's do that. Yeah, I'm going to try and talk about it. I, 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 as we said, this is dry January. This might if this gets really boring, <laughs> Stuart, stop me. But like, I'll, I'll... well, you you can use it as a lot of people use podcasts to go to sleep to. Yes. So this isn't going to be even better. Someone someone um, I know said usual. they do that, um, but his wife oh. had to make him stop because she said it was weird that I could because like we. <laughs> 
keep falling asleep to Tommy's voice. It's weird. <laughs> so imagine, and imagine you you got a co- um, you're tossing coins, right? And you're you're. Oh, shut up. oh, oh what was that? What were you yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! All right, okay. Anyway, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a hypothesis, right? You're worried that your 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 this coin you've got is biased, um, and that it would uh, and it's not. Pro, um, you're worried it might be biased towards heads. So your null hypothesis yes. is that the card. I've never co- really understood. Me neither. That. What does it mean? What is it about the coin that would make it biased towards guess, heads that I wouldn't be could... that wouldn't be really obvious when you held the coin and looked at it? Yeah, yeah. Like it's got two heads. Like that's you know that's that yeah. you can't really weight one side of doesn't ah, matter yeah without again without being really obvious yeah, yeah but it just like wouldn't make like it's a it's a flat disc you could like you, you can load one, a you can load a dice, a dice a die yeah you can which would make more sense but like, I've gone coin. with coins I've gone with coins fine go with coins yeah, I've gone with coins all right anyway you worry that it's biased towards heads somehow your null hypothesis <laughs> is that the coin is not biased all right that so you just like so under that hypothesis under the null if you flip the coin infinite times you'd see fifty percent heads fifty percent tails so you flip it yep. ten times and you get six heads. Is that surprising? Ooh, I don't know. Is well, it? Uh, I mean, you can say okay. So there, there, are, there are ways of working it out mathematically. I quite like that you can work it out using Pascal's triangle, but be make more effort. There's more effort than it's worth to describe how here. You can use an online calculator. There are loads. On yeah. ten coin tosses, the chance of getting exactly six heads is twenty percent. Um, but obviously, you'd also you'd be just as surprised, or in fact, more surprised if you got more than six. So really, you're interested in the probability of seeing six or more heads okay and the um chance of seeing six or more heads on 10 fair coins is 37 percent uh right now statisticians express that as a number between zero and one so in that case it would be 0.37 and that if you've ever heard the term a p-value that's what a p-value is that's all it is is the probability of seeing that result or a more extreme one given that if the if the null hypothesis is true, if there's no effect, if it there. is a fair coin, yeah, in a, on a fair coin, your p value of seeing a six or more heads is zero point three seven. So, yeah. not very surprising, I think. I think that's that's quite a high chance of yeah. seeing it if the null hypothesis is true. Uh, that is, it, it, you would there's a high chance of seeing that number of heads if the coin is completely fair. Yeah. You wouldn't so, go running out going, oh my God, it's, it's a fake, it's a fraud, it's a, you know... I've the, got a, uh, whatever, a mystically whatever you do with this yeah, coin, yeah. I've, this coin is wrong somehow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Anyway. Yeah. So that's not very surprising. But now let's say you toss the coin 100 times and you get 60 heads. Ooh. Which, in, that's you know, much the, less. Yeah, yeah it, it seems, seems less, yeah, uh, uh, unexpected, much, much less expected. Even though it's the same percentage of heads, just it's the law of large numbers means you're, you're less likely to see it. Under the, under the null hypothesis, under the idea that the coin is fair, you would only see 60 heads or more on 100 flips less than 3% of the time. Uh, so your p-value is 0.03. And suddenly right. that's much more surprising. Yeah, we're into the low single figures of you know percentages and we can decide you know that that's and we'll, we'll come to who decided but that mm. but that you know that would be you could make a decision that that would be Enough worth writing to, yeah, home exactly. about yeah exactly yeah oh that'd be worth paying attention to and, and that's Although really if i wrote home about it i think my mum and dad would say this is why are you writing about flipping a coin? Is everything yeah, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a bit of a sort of um, <laughs> metaphorically writing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but that's fundamentally what we would be doing if we're on our question of the sweet smelling studies show listeners. Um, you know, given the average and variation and the sample sizes and all these sort of things, you can ca- you can calculate pretty easily how surprising it is that how yeah. You know, well, you look you look at how different the two. Uh, populations yeah. are the, the the study show listeners and the non-study show listeners and you can you can pretty easily decide or you can work out how surprising how surprising the difference is and then you can put a you could have a number on that surprisingness uh and that is the p-value that's that's right. the whole that's the whole idea of p-values they're not actually that complicated and i hope we haven't made them sound complicated yeah it's more the calculation of them is not so complicated it's more the way that they're interpreted uh, that, yes that becomes a yes bit they, more, yeah, they get uh, to how what you do with a p-value is much more yeah yeah it's much more interesting um, and subtle and, and the first thing you do with a p-value often is declare that you have or have not found statistical significance right as we talked about at the, uh, uh, at the, the top, start yeah. that this, yeah. these are all related together um and this comes from ronald fisher the um, statistician in the early 20th century. Yep. Um, early to mid, I guess, 20th Very century. Very difficult man, apparently, but not, not an easy yeah, to get on with yeah. man by, by all accounts. Yeah, I think he, um, 
yeah, it was uh, had held held controversial views. Held many... controversial views, but also just a bit like kept falling out with everyone. The other the, the other ones were um, like he right. hated all Bayesianism and was once a what what and. Uh, Right. No, 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 no. The enemy. Therefore, we'll we'll get back to this. But yeah, um, he uh, he fell out with another uh, sort of statistician, Pearson, um, who Egon Egon Pearson, no, Carl Pearson, uh, who Egon uh, Pearson is, is his, his son. son yeah, I think? Yeah, his, yeah, he was. Yeah, but so Carl Pearson um, is another very sort of aligned with Fisher, really, on most things. But then but also he, held bad views about things. Yeah, also yeah. very bad. But he um, uh, he once misunderstood something that, that Fisher wrote. Said this is sneaking Bayesianism in the back door, and Bayes, uh, Fisher and Pearson had a massive falling out. And never spoke to each other ever again. And um, <laughs> and Fisher spent the rest of his career trying to undermine everything Pearson and his son Egon Pearson did. Um, just because for once accusing him of bait, it's brilliant. I love it. Just such Ouch. a petty yeah. little holding a grudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but 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 he was the one that came up with the term statistical significance. So he yeah. he said, and this was fairly arbitrary. Hmm. Was that he thought that it would be a good rule of thumb is that if you got a p value of less than zero point zero five for whatever comparison you were doing, and, and by the way, it's not always a comparison. You can get a p value for a correlation as well, like you know how two things go together. Hmm. Um, so if you get a p value of of, of zero point zero five or less. So that is a result that is so extreme that you'd only see it or results more extreme than that one time in 20. So 5% of the time. Mm-hmm. Then you can say it's statistically significant. And he said, it is convenient to, to draw the line at about the level at which we can say either there is something in the treatment or a coincidence has occurred, such as does not occur more than once in 20 trials. I thought you were going to do a Fisher um, impression there, and you bottled out of it after about three three. Well, words. I just I just spoke it in a slightly more plummy uh, voice, yeah. plummy voice than my normal voice. It I don't actually know what he to draw the line like. about the level at which we can say. Are there recordings of him talking? I've, I've, I've got absolutely no idea. I'm just imagining yeah, this is how an early sure 20th century statistician speaks. You know, either yeah, there yeah. is something in the treatment, or a coincidence <laughs> has occurred, such as does not occur yes. more than once in twenty trials. Beautiful. Uh, thank Beautiful. you. Yes. Um, uh, the word. So so the, the so he came up with this word significance and 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 by the way like back then and this is what 1920s yeah something like that um the word significance meant something slight, like nowadays when we talk about something being significant it, it, it sort of automatically really. yeah. it means it's important but back then I, I i think and it's hard to exactly know but i think he more meant that it signifies something which, yeah. which is still you know, worth paying attention to but it's but it's not mm. quite the same as as the way we interpret the word significance nowadays um so so there's a bit of a sort of lost in translation through history issue yeah. there um and uh and and so 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 let's just completely let's just completely say it again so what does statistical significance mean assuming that I'm just going to jump in there and, and take it over. Of Assuming course. that the null hypothesis is true and the study is repeated an infinite number of times by drawing random samples from the same population or populations, less than 5% of these results will be as or more extreme than the current result. So that, it sounds it sounds complicated, but like basically if you were to flip, uh, if you were to flip a fair coin an infinite number of times you would see that you would see results as as, as extreme as this or more extreme only five you know, less than five percent of the time you know that that's oh, sorry i've nodded off again because you were talking about coin flips coin flips um, are very exciting but, uh, actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the upshot of all this is that scientists in all those fields that we're talking about you know the majority of different areas of science hmm. they're looking for low p-values normally because what they want to see and, and want obviously you know, if you're a perfectly objective scientist, you should just want to see reality. But mm. n- n- normally, people are interested in seeing if a drug is true, you know, is truly Effective, uh, beneficial yeah. compared to placebo controls. Um, you want to see th- that there's a difference between your drug and the placebo control, or you want to see that there's a strong relation between this particular part of the brain and this particular outcome that you're interested in, whatever it, whatever mm. it is. Um, and so because having a lower p-value means that the data would have a low probability of being the way they are yeah. if the null hypothesis is true, if there's actually nothing happening in yeah. in, in the data. If your coin and, is And in fair. particular, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> if the coin is fair, if the drug doesn't work. If the if, dice you know, is whatever. loaded, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in particular... Because of this tradition, and it really is just a tradition from Fisher, which he, he explicitly said at the time. This is I've, I've chosen this arbitrarily. Sometimes it'll be worth using a a more difficult, um, yeah. a higher standard or whatever. If you're worried, and we'll about come it. we'll come back to that <clears throat> the, yeah. that concept. Um, 
they're specifically looking for this p-value of less than 0.05. And it becomes a kind of, a, people have just described it as a ritual. Scientists look through their results and, and statistical software often turns out tables and, and graphs and things. With, and it has a little asterisk where there's a statistically significant result of less than 0.05. And they're kind of looking through tables and, oh, look, there's a an asterisk there. And you can put three asterisks if it's very statistically significant, if the p-value is even lower than 0.05. And, mm. you know, maybe it's poor, lower than 0.001 or something. And so there's this kind of ritual of looking through the results for these little asterisks, which, yeah. you know, on the one hand, is it, it can be fine. But on the other hand, can lead us to some very bad, uh, some very bad places. Yes, um, but but, 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 but and 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 and, and uh, you know part of that is because a lot of scientists actually misunderstand what the p value is telling you. We, we've we've given you what hopefully is the correct definition here, mm. but even when people are trying to teach other people about statistics, they often get this wrong. So there was a paper uh, a few years ago that said eighty nine percent of psychology undergraduate textbooks that they looked at. Um, got the definition of a p value wrong yes. that's 89 percent. yeah that's brilliant uh, and i mean also if you if you ask uh, there was other studies like of, of doctors asking them and, and psychologists asking them like mm-hmm. i haven't got the numbers in front of me but they all the even like sort of uh, psychologists whose job it was to teach statistics to other psychology <laughs> students yeah mis uh, misidentified the um what or, or misdescribed what uh yeah. p-values and statistical significance are and it's a convoluted it's a convoluted definition so it's quite you have to sort of take a breath and 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 and, and say it uh and, and think about it before you say it um because it is a bit you know it's like if the data if the null hypothesis is true then you know like getting yeah. getting it exactly right is tricky and what what people all well not always but the most common misunderstanding is that people think that if you see a five percent uh, something is statistically significant at the five percent level you know if it's got a p value of zero point zero five or less yes people think that is the probability that the null hypothesis is true or that the probability that these data were produced by chance basically the prob or or if you put it another way the probability that your hypoth- hypothesis is wrong so. Yeah, and that is the opposite of what it means. Uh, that it- Imagine if there was a test that told you whether your hypothesis was true, basically, right? That would mm. be what that is. If you flipped it round, like it tells you the it tells you the probability that the null hypothesis is true, five percent, say, uh, or or three percent or something. Then you could flip it around and say, well, there's a ninety-seven percent chance that my hypothesis is true. I mean, imagine if there was a test that did that; it would be great. There is, it's but obviously phase. that's far too good to yeah, be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there, well, I mean, let's, you, let's come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, you you can't do that without without Bayesianism, actually, and we'll come back to that another time. But you can't, but you can't do it with Bayesianism re- in the real world because there's too many things to consider. Um, yes. Yeah. No, you're right. But, that's the- but, but when you ask people about p-values, they often say things like that. They mm. say, well, you know, the p-value is the probability that the null hypothesis is true. No. No, it assumes the null hypothesis is true. The definition that we gave above: if the null hypothesis is true, how likely is it that the data would be the way they are, or more extreme? Right. Yeah. That that's the, the first part of that definition is if the null hypothesis is true. You can't say that the p-value tells you how likely the null hypothesis is to be true because it assumes the null hypothesis is true in in, in the definition. No, it's the opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's the different. It's, it's so it's it is not how likely is it that this hypothesis is true given the data, but it is like it is how likely is it that this data. We would see this data given the hypothesis, or rather the null hypothesis, yeah. uh, which is yeah. the, which is literally and identically the same as the difference between only one human in eight billion is the Pope, and um, given <laughs> the, the given the, the, there's only a one in eight billion chance that the Pope is human. Um, right. that, that is, it is it is exactly it is it is functionally the same as that. You know, um, yes. the, uh, the the just asking two totally different questions, and people do not get that and it is really important that they do get that because otherwise you end up with some severe confusion as now being from scotland i should say that we don't take a side at the study show in the um Catholic whether the Pope is human sectarianism or not. Yeah. whether the Pope is, Pope is human or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not. We we don't take a side in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 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 it, it 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 would be lovely if that you know if you could know from a statistical test whether your hypothesis is true. But but mm. but just don't be just don't be silly. That's not that you, you that, that's obviously not what yeah. a, a statistical test can show you. Um, but it is it is often a useful piece of information in in context. Mm. If you have lots of other things right in your study, so like. If you've designed the experiment properly and you've got a good, you know, you've got a proper control group and you've the variables are measured accurately and all so there's a lot of ifs and very big ifs. Yep. Um, and the, you're testing a plausible hypothesis, 
then a low p-value is actually worth is is worth knowing. Yes. The study show is sponsored by Works in Progress magazine. Now, Works in Progress is a great magazine for anyone who's interested in uh, ideas, who's interested in science and technology, and who's interested in how things have changed over history um, for human civilization, really, uh, and um, has got amazingly in-depth, beautifully written articles with loads of data and sources, illustrations too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, In in, uh, about all these topics. Now, um, in the most recent issue, the kind of lead article is very appropriate for the topic of this particular podcast, because it's about mathematics um, and about how mathematics made the modern world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's really looking about because I think a lot of us would think you know, science and technology is what has driven, and you know, like I think it, it is none, actually absolutely true that science and technology is what has driven changes in economic, you know, economic output and people's lives mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. being happier and healthier and longer lived and all that sort of stuff. But this uh, article by Bo and Hannes Malmberg um, argues that underpinning that is improving mathematical techniques, and so it allows you to do things like better quality of analysis of of data or better better measurement of your of your um of your scientific data this sort of thing but even things like banking yep uh and and all sorts of different measurements like uh that we that we need to 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 build things and to and to improve things come about through what they call the um the 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 mathematic the mathematic mathematization of social life yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah. starts yeah. to think about things in in in, uh, in mathematical terms and starts calculating things all the time so yeah. whether it's so, architectural so it's, or yeah exactly like or stuff like um the use of triangulation methods to measure the distance between uh well you know how tall something is or the me- me- uh, triangulation to right. work out how far how, the distance between uh cities by me- uh, using the church spires and the measurement of the angles to work out how far things are apart and then you can sort yeah. of de- just determine the length it's just it's these sort of quite subtle um mathematical techniques to determine to then make pro use them to make progress and things and it's uh, and it's yeah, uh, yeah that, and it's not it super is, obvious that everyone in society should be taught mm-hmm. mathematics like they like they are and it's not super obvious that like you know that 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 mathematics should be used in all these different uh, contexts, but but it is, and it turns out to have been extremely useful for you know progress in in loads of different uh, civilizations. Yeah. So so that's um, uh, an article in Works in Progress magazine. That's worksinprogress.co, and you can find all sorts of uh, articles in addition to that, all mm. for free on the Works in Progress and site. So very, we're very, very grateful. nicely targeted towards the studies show listeners. They're very oh totally sort of totally. Thing. If yeah. you listen to this yeah. podcast, just go just go to worksinprogress.co and and you'll see what we mean. Yeah. Um, so right. uh, check it out. Um, we're very we're grateful. very grateful that they uh, support the study show. Um, and now back, back to, the, to show. the show. We talked about false positives there, hmm. and uh, of course, you know the the the, the, the p value threshold um, of of point zero five. It can still something can still look significant, but 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 be false. Yeah. And you know um, uh, the. the, the the problem is that scientists look at that p-value threshold and consider that if something's lower than that, they often think, well, it must be real in mm. some sense. And if it's above that, well, it's not real. And they have this kind of, as I say, this ritual of checking whether something's lower or higher than 0.05. And the problem is that journals, scientific journals, are often only interested in publishing something if it is statistically significant at less than 0.05. So Ronald Fisher had this sort of suggestion, but mm. it's become this kind of gospel thing that scientists follow. Um in in the way that they do uh, their research, and then in, in you know in a perfect world where we didn't have human biases affecting research, it would actually be really good to have some kind of like threshold that's out of your hands. That's this kind of quote unquote objective threshold that if your results go below that, then you accept them, and if they don't go below that, then you just have to put your hands up and say they're not significant. I did not find a result here. Yeah. That's good. That's actually a good thing. It is, and and to be clear, in, in right ways. in um in that perfect world, like if if every you know, if all if all else being equal, and if, if if every study that was ever done was published, and if all studies were published with the um, mm. with the you know with with their analysis done the correct way, and as 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 initially predi- predicted, and all sort of, you would uh, you would actually only see false results in one time in twenty. It would it yes. that that would it would be equivalent to you know um, there's only a one in twenty chance that these results are wrong. If everything were 
if it would if if you know if if there wasn't anything else going on but unfortunately yes. there are lots of things going on so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean what, one of those problems is uh, is p hacking and um this was a kind of uh, slightly facetious term that came about in kind of 2011 12 when the replication crisis discussion started and people realized that uh, yeah it's not it wasn't a new discovery back then but they but they they pointed to the fact that scientists often do things to the way they run their analysis that make the p-value go less than 0.05 even though they've maybe done it fairly arbitrarily they uh, wouldn't be able to replicate that in another data set and that's one of the reasons that many psychology studies and uh, and, and lots of other uh, studies from other disciplines um don't replicate it's because the, the analysis has been you know the finger the thumb has been put on the scale uh, mm. a little bit with the, when it comes to the analysis just to get them below that threshold of 0.05 and the example i often give when i'm talking about this is um do you remember power posing do you remember I that do. whole thing i do i still i, st- I do it yeah. regularly standing with your legs apart um like like um you ever seen <laughs> blackadder you ever seen blackadder um when uh, series three, when he, when he, when King George becomes an old Prince George becomes an actor or goes and meets the yes, actors, and he yes, says, right, yeah. "Oh, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking and all that sort of stuff," he's standing with his hands on his hips, <laughs> yes, and his crotch yes. thrusting forward. Anyway, like well, that. This, yeah. this was a thing. This was a thing in psychology, um, and it's actually the second most watched TED talk of all time. Is the psychologist Amy Cuddy talking about power posing? Um, you've probably seen it if you've ever seen TED talks. You've probably seen this one because it's, it's uh, millions and millions and millions of people have watched this, and if it was a best-selling book about it, all this sort of thing. Based on this one study that came out in uh, 2010, um, uh, which had uh, 42 people in it. And the idea was that if when there's a stressful thing about to happen, you go somewhere private and do a power pose, like stand with your legs apart, hands on hips in a sort of powerful position, then you're more likely to feel powerful you're more likely to take risks your testosterone will go up your cortisol will go down that's you know the stress hormone um all these all these amazing results and this caught on in a big way it became a massive thing um but a couple of years later one of the co-authors not cuddy who did the ted talk but one of the other co-authors dana carney who's at berkeley came out and said you know i was a co-author on this study but i don't believe it anymore um, an amazingly high integrity, honest thing to do. Mm. And she said, that basically, she didn't say these words exactly, but she basically said, we p-hacked this experiment. It, 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 it probably wouldn't have been significant if we had been more principled about the analysis. But in fact, we uh, we p-hacked it. And here's how, we, here's how we did it. So first of all, we had a very small sample. So when you have a small sample, it's very easy to just, you know, if you just maybe just drop one participant out or a few participants out it'll change the results because every data point is much more important when you've got a small sample hmm. you know moving things over moving one removing one data point will change the, the 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 average of the study a lot more than if you remove one data point from a study where you have a million people say yeah. and you can sort of convince yourself of you're doing it for you know this this person clearly didn't listen to the instructions or this person yes. this yeah. person was not uh, representative of the wider group so they're, they're really yeah. not helping yeah. us and you can feel like you're doing it in a principled way but you're yeah. you, you shouldn't unless you're doing it in a- so she said we actually excluded five people because they didn't follow directions but we didn't report that in the paper so we were kind of unclear about whether mm. we had taken people out um they checked the significance of the effect along the way they originally had 25 people in their experiment and they tested whether it's, it was statistically significant and it wasn't. So they collected another 10 and they tested whether it was statistically significant and it wasn't. So they tested, they collected another seven and they mm. tested whether it was statistically significant and it wasn't. And they collected another five and then it was statistically significant and then they stopped the experiment at that point. Um, the problem there is that you're doing the test over and over again with slightly different samples. So you're increasing the chance because every time you do the test, you've got the chance of finding a false positive. You're increasing the chance that any given result is a false positive. Yeah. It's like rolling, um, to, to get back to dice rolling, you're giving yourself yeah. more and more chances to roll a 20 on a D20, on a 20 right, sided exactly, dice, exactly. basically. Um, they ran multiple different types of statistical test and then just chose the one that had the lowest p value in it. So again. you're not getting a full picture of all the results that they that they did. Um, they dropped <clears throat> outliers, so people who got particularly high or particularly low scores on whatever test or whatever measure. Um, they dropped them from some of the analyses, but not all of them, in a way that made it more likely that the results would be statistically significant that the p-value would be less than 0.05 and and they asked lots of questions about self-assessed power and then just reported the ones that were that gave positive results and not the ones that gave null results so all of that increases the chances that the result is a false positive and indeed when people tried to replicate this they found 
most if not all the results could you couldn't find them in new in new samples the example um, i always like which is came uh, came about not long after this i think and you definitely know about is um false positive psychology do you remember that that the mm-hmm. paper the amazing paper 2011 um which gave gave one group of people um a, the song uh, when i'm 64 to listen to and one and one group of people a um a uh a, a, what's it called? a, a placebo control a, a control song which i think was kalimba kalimba by mr scruff um and <laughs> yes. uh, uh they found that people who listened to when i'm 64 became younger actually were eight, yeah. became 18 months younger than people who didn't uh you know their birthdays yeah. became more recent and obviously that no obviously they, they didn't find that yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah. but they ran the analysis in such a way and they did it deliberately in this case yeah, I mean, exactly the, was... the implication is that people do it without knowing in other situations yeah but they, but they, they ran it. the analysis yeah. in such a way that 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 actually you know you found this absurd result which couldn't possibly be, Ex- be true. doing exactly these things by doing lots of different statistical tests and uh, well, yeah. lots of different um measuring lots of different things reporting only the ones that were significant stopping their their um their uh data collection when they when they got on yeah. got uh, you know just exactly the sort of things that were felt normal and standard in in uh psychological science but yeah turned out to then be just giving you loads of false positive crap Totally, totally. And so if you're familiar with the idea of overfitting, the idea is that you can make a model that fits your particular data set very well, like it's very, it's too specific, it fits your data very well, but doesn't really predict um, other data sets, then that's exactly, that's just what this is. You're just, you're making a statistical model that fits perfectly to the contours of your data set. Like, like if, like um, the, the, the Douglas Adams thing about a puddle, like, wasn't it amazing that this hole fits me like the puddle the puddle saying yes. isn't it amazing that this hole i'm in fits me perfectly it's like well no. yeah you're <laughs> you're made to fit that hole that's how that's how you are mm. um but it wouldn't necessarily fit any other hole um that that particular that particular yes. puddle um and and so it's the it's the same in this case um and it will link to a paper that explains that in more detail so that's one way of p-hacking another way of p-hacking is, is just to dredge through a data set find a big data set where you've got lots of variables collected from from you know from, from different people and then just just test loads of stuff and eventually because of that dice rolling thing you're going to find something that has a p-value of less than 0.05 and you can say well that was what we were looking for all along and, yeah and, this and was the brian wansink thing do you remember the food uh, the food yes. guy. Um, he he, yeah. he like he he got his grad gave his grad student a bunch of um, a big data set which would like ask people do you know loads of questions about whether they eat first or whether they like large plates and then just said go and go and chop this data up until you find something and lo and yeah. behold she found something <laughs> yeah. and yeah. then uh, he he made the mistake of publishing that on a blog post and then got yeah he admitted to it in public which is uh, uh, rare but I think what he do- what he was doing with statistics is not rare it's just it's rare to admit yeah. it I've almost feel um, bad publicly. for him to like like yeah. you just doing what everyone yeah. else is doing and you made the mistake of yeah. telling right <laughs> yeah. um and there's actually there's an app on the 538 website where you can do p hacking which is really fun you should try it um and you can basically get whatever results you want just by doing all the different things that we've talked about here so we'll link that in the in the show notes so um and also it's, it should be said that quite often you find studies that look on the surface p hacked that loads of the results are just under that 0.05 threshold so it's the implication is that they've been hacked until they just got to the threshold and then they stopped um and it's, that's not very convincing evidence for the hypothesis that they're testing, but also it's evidence that there is p-hacking. Like, and you can actually use as a tool called um, p-curve, where you look at all the significant p-values in a paper, and you can see whether they uh, show evidence of uh, having been having been hacked or or, or not. Um, the great thing, then, by the then, way, I'll just say at this point is that um, actually. Under a lot of circumstances, evidence for a, a, a p-value of p just under zero point zero five can be evidence against your hypothesis because it would actually be more surprising. And if if your if there was a strong effect, it would be unlikely that your p-value would get as high as p zero point p. p right. Uh, right, right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, you you will see it one time in twenty under um, the null hypothesis, and so even though it's a bit surprising under the null, it's actually more surprising if there's anything really interesting going on um so and there is evidence that that lots of p-values are just under that threshold and it implies that in the same way that you often see um lots of marks just above the pass mark when like reading tests and stuff that are administered by teachers it's like teachers have just been a bit kind and just given people just a little bit of an extra or score to dating, get them above the pass mark men on dating websites who uh you get to see almost no no five eleven five foot eleven guys and loads and loads right. of six footers um <laughs> right, right exactly yeah. went back when yeah. okay i'm used to um, dating. exactly six foot of course you are mate of course you are yeah um <laughs> 
<laughs> so, 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 um, so, so there's that p hacking, but there's also the problem we also hinted at above, which is which is publication bias. Which is, if you're only going to publish or, or or be heavily biased towards publishing, the results that are less than 0.05, and there are lots of results out there that are greater than 0.05 that are showing no um, no significant effects, then. Um, you're going to get a distorted view of what's in the scientific literature. And indeed, we do have that distorted view. And there's lots of evidence that publication bias like if uh, did, occurs. Like if you did your, your, your statistical analysis into whether or not a coin is biased and you, and you, um, you only publish the, uh, the, one, the times when, it, when you flip six, coins, six heads in a row and you, and you don't publish all the other ones, it will, of course, look like you've got a, a, a biased coin. But it's, it, right. it's just you, you've left out the hundreds of times when you didn't flip six heads in a right. row. Right. Exactly. And so exactly. I think p-hacking is kind of like publication bias with, or can be publication bias within a study. Like you're only, you're doing lots of analyses and you're only publishing the ones that are statistically yeah, significant. Exactly the same um, thing. Or, or it can and be, so, only one version of it is. Uh, that's one yeah. way to p-hack. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. So, so, yeah. Now, now having said all that, it, it so you know up to this point it sounds like we're saying like this whole arbitrary thing is causing loads of problems the arbitrary p is less than 0. 0.05 thing and, and you know, we are because Bayesian is the correct way to do it so that's treating that as a binary just ignore him everyone um tre- tre- treating that as a binary thing is 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 bad but also i think there's there's also evidence that scientists um uh want to bend the rules a little bit and that's also bad too so um You'll often see when people get like p equals 0.06 or p equals 0.07 or something, and obviously maybe they've tried to p hack, but they can't get it below the, <laughs> the, the 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 magic threshold. They write sort of weasel terms like it's it was approaching statistical significance, mm. or uh, uh, and there's, there's a great um, blog with quotes that people have used barely escapes statistical significance, close to the margin, just about significant, on the cusp of conventional statistical significance, very closely brush the limit of statistical significance, like ridiculous phrases mm. like that. Just I think teasing, my favorite one was... Uh, yeah, yeah mm. not significant, uh, not actually significant, but very probably so, and, and things like that. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's scientists telling on themselves. I think it's basically people who said at the outset of their experiment that they were going to use this kind of quote-unquote objective thing where they were going to say like if the result is this way then i will accept it and if the result is that way i will not accept it and then it didn't come out the way they wanted and they're like well it was kind of it was kind of what we wanted and i think that's kind of a separate question from like the binary thing is you know is is a bad it has it has all these bad effects but if you're gonna play the game of the binary effect you can't move the goalposts around, you know, post hoc. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, uh, you're right as well. Also, like, there, if if we were doing it well, that then sort of the tying your what was the what's the phrase you you, you always use? But um, yeah, tying like, your t- hands to the mast. The, yeah, the, exactly. It's the Odysseus <clears throat> thing. Yeah, yeah. Just say, well, now I I I want it to come out a different way, but it hasn't, and I've that's that's the that's the threshold I've given myself. Yes, but. If you, it, it does rely on you actually being honest with yourself and and not trying to fiddle numbers. Um, yeah. so- and the major fundamental problem is 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 that we've discovered in the past you know decade or uh, many people have known it for much longer than that is that you can't trust scientists to be honest with themselves. They are biased and they want to find exciting results because mm. that benefits their careers, and so they often end up. And also, they care about they care about the things like. To be to be less cynical, you know they yeah. they they which that is definitely true. You you can't get your 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 papers published and you can't get promoted unless you're finding these statistically significant results. Which so you need to you are incentivized to find them. But also people care about you know they they research things they care about. They want to find yeah. drugs yeah. that work or um, right. You want to find a cure for whatever it is cancer, yeah. muscular dystrophy, whatever whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and so you 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 kind of can, can convince yourself that what you're doing is the right thing when you when you do all these statistical things, or when you say, "Well, I'm not going to send that study off for publication. It was a null result. It's not very interesting. It doesn't advance the field, blah blah blah." Mm. But it does. It does advance the field to know that some yeah. things don't work. That's as good a scientific result and as useful a scientific result um, as knowing some things that do work because yeah. we have to have an accurate picture of what's been tested and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, exactly as ro- flipping a heads, uh, flipping a tails is just as important to knowing how often you flip heads as flipping a heads is. So here's the, and here's the final thing that a p-value does not tell you. So a p-value does not tell you the probability that the null hypothesis is true. The p-value does not tell you anything particularly special just because it's under the under point zero five and the p-value does not tell you um how big your effect is or how important your effect is and this is back to this whole thing about significant and whether it's significant or not but there's a separate measure that statisticians use 
which is the effect size. And that's a different thing from the p-value. Now, they are related under some circumstances and, and, and kind of all else held equal, an effect size will relate to a p-value because... Big effects are easier p- to, 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 to big detect. Big effects are yeah. easier to detect, yeah. So, so um, but, but, but the thing is, things aren't often held equal. No. And in studies that you have very, very, very large sample sizes... It's actually very easy to find small effects, so things that are that really maybe don't matter that much, but that are statistically significant. Just the way that um, uh, statistics works, you have more of what's known as statistical power. So if you're dredging through a massive data set, like, I don't know, the UK Biobank study, which has half a million people in it, it's very often that you find things that are statistically significant there and often very statistically significant. But they probably don't matter that much. They've probably only got a small effect. Like, imagine if there was a headache pill, which, like... Um, de- it, it actually definitely did have this effect. Like it really did reduce your headache by 0.00001%. Like it definitely did that, but it was only 0.0001%, right? Yeah, you wouldn't care. You probably wouldn't take that pill. You wouldn't spend any money on it. You, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, it wouldn't, you wouldn't care. But you could probably find the effect if you had enough people rating their pain, uh, rating their headache pain to, to detect it. Yeah, there's my favorite example of this. Although, doesn't interestingly enough, it didn't have a large sample size, but it was it was it was um, it was done with um, within subjects trial uh, method. Don't worry about right. the details of that. But it, it was a it yes. meant they could get better, more more statistical power from a smaller sample. But anyway, there's a headline yes. in a um, Huffington Post article in 2014: "Reading on a screen before bed might be killing you." Oh my um, god! Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm trying to work out if I've, we talked about this before in this. In, I'm uh, swiftly uh, off to the grave. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Me too. Yeah. Uh, but it was based on a study which found a statistically significant p equals zero point zero one link between reading an e-reader instead of a paper book and falling asleep later. Um, it was a half po journalist himself who extrapolated to might be killing you because lack of sleep is bad for your health. I didn't actually say it. Right, paper. right. Um, but. The actual effect was, if you read on e-reader four, wait for it, drum drum roll, drum roll, four hours before bed, you fell asleep (laughs) on average 10 minutes later than if you read a paper book. (laughs) Right. Uh, Now, it's statistically significant. It's possibly even real. I don't know. Um, You know, it might even actually happen, might be replicable. I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's just totally irrelevant. Like, who cares? Like, yeah. who, who so there's a classic it? example of a small, a small effect, and sometimes yeah. small effects matter. Like, um, if you're trying to fully explain how a society works, what makes a person do the things they do, how what you know how a brain works, you're probably going to have to build up lots and lots of small effects. Mm. It's not the case that unless you are being shot in the head, like we talked about earlier, mm. the, it's, it's, there are lots of small effects that are that are important. Well, but genes genes are the classic example, aren't they? Like genome-wide right. association studies. You, you, there's no one gene that makes people tall or or intelligent or beautiful or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But loads of genes have small impacts on loads of different things. Yeah. Um, and you, any one gene, you will have only a, the faintest statistical tendency to correlate with height or, yeah. or liver function or whatever. And by know? the way, your man uh, Ronald Fisher worked that out in 1918. So, so yeah. So, uh, um. The, the effect size can be very different from the statistical significance. And that's something that's really important to know. Because again, when you talk about significance, it does sound like it means important and so yeah. on. And when you hear about, in the media, you hear people talking about things that are statistically significant. It's now you know what that means. Yeah. It's not the same as saying it's a big deal. Yeah. We were um, going to talk for ages about how how you measure um uh, effect sizes but actually we've gone on for quite a long time already so let's, <laughs> let's just... Yeah. just to say like you can measure effect sizes in the units that they're measured in so like you can measure a height difference say between men and women you can measure that in centimeters say or mm-hmm. inches whatever that would be that would be the effect size in that case but there are also standardized effect sizes so you can say like how many standard deviations difference is the average man from the average woman um and the it turns out that it's like 1.7 or something like yeah. like quite quite a lot of standard deviations um uh, uh a standard deviation is a measure of how spread out your data are don't worry about it yeah. for now tell you what we should we, what we should do is a little short episode about effect sizes and standard yeah, deviations yeah. there's a lot time. to say yeah. about effect sizes yeah um but the point is you can make effect sizes standardized so you can compare between different studies and you say that's a large effect a small effect whatever again that's based that that goes back to like context and um you have to actually know more about what the effect what the 
the measurements mean and 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 whether a big you know a big effect in one case might might actually be a small effect in others and what what are you used to in your field like in psychology we're quite used to small effects but in other fields you might be used to bigger ones and, and yeah. so on education and has loads of tiny effects and it's a big deal if you find some effect that yeah. raises that raises educational outcomes by a tenth of a standard deviation across you know something like that i don't know right exactly exactly yeah. um and so and so there and so there we are i mean that's that's another issue with with p-values is that is that you should also be reporting and calculating your effect size as well as your p-value because they're both useful pieces of information the p-value is telling you something different the p-value is telling you how surprising the particular result is given the 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 null hypothesis is true and the effect size is telling you how big the actual effect is in your in your data and you can calculate them separately um but and the problem is many scientists don't report the effect size they just rely on the p-value and if it's below 0.05 they're like yep found something really big all right not so so. i can get it published in nature and i can get uh, get tenure (laughs) yeah Yeah. so so what can we let's let's end then by talking about what we can do about these problems with p-values, the sort of misunderstandings, misuse, uh, and general sort of failures of scientists using p-values properly. Yeah, um, I mean, so there. I mean, the one thing obviously is that p, a chance of one in twenty, uh, you know, the uh, p, p, a statistical significance level of zero point zero five is actually really basic. It's 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 like it's, it's too permissive. It's, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's very easy to see in a fluke, and like. One suggestion, you know, in physics, like the if if and if you if you saw a p equals zero point zero five result in on the Large Hadron Collider, people would say, "I don't care." Like they, they laughed out of yeah, the, yeah. the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, exactly. You laughed out of CERN. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they demand a five sigma threshold for a lot of their things, which is five standard deviations. Don't worry what that means. We talked about, but it <laughs> roughly means a p value of zero point zero 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 three. Um, which is 17,000 right. times more stringent than the ones you they use in psychology and so on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, now remember if you set your p value to if you like if if we did that for psychology, then you would get a lot of false negatives. Yeah, or rather you'd because, never find any positives at all because <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You would always say like there's nothing here, there's nothing here, there's nothing here. When in fact, if you were a bit less conservative about your your p value threshold, you would find mm. results that actually are real and replicable and so on. And so a lot of the kind of um a lot of the sort of uh, debate about this is where you should set that number to minimize both false negatives and false positives and just get as many real results as you can. And, 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 and you know, there's, there's always going to be a trade-off there. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's exactly it. There's no way around this hard problem that if you set your, alpha, your, your statistical significance level higher, you will miss more, um, or lower rather, you'll miss more real results. If you set it higher, you will get more f- false positives, and that's yeah. just that's yeah. that you slide you slide you slide your, your your measuring tool up and down, and you trade them off, and you can't you can't avoid that problem. Yeah. So so in 2017 in psychology, uh, people suggested that you know a more modest thing, not as not as conservative as uh, as physics, mm-hmm. but they suggested that we change the threshold from 0.05, which is the standard fisher yep. thing that he talked about to 0.005 um so we would be much more conservative about what we accept as a statistically significant result um and it would make the things a bit harder to kind of game it would it, it, it it's much harder to p hack a number to below 0.005 than it is to p hack a number to below 0.05 yeah, so like you see one in 200 times um yeah, by yeah. If, if the null hypothesis were uh were true Right, yeah, and and so and so it is it is um, it is harder to, to 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 game that, and it would be a bit like, you know, there are these there's this issue of multiple comparisons, like the whole rolling the dice again and again, and you're more likely to find a false positive. You can do that within an individual study, so you can say like, I'm only going to accept results in my study if they're below a much lower a much lower p value. So you can you can be more conservative yourself within your study. But what was being suggested here was we'd just be more conservative in general across the whole literature. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a big debate over that. Some scientists thought that was a great idea. Some scientists said, actually, you should just let people set whatever significance threshold they want as long as they can justify it. So again, this goes back to this thing about trying to set the balance between false positives and false negatives and, and try and work out, you know, in some fields that might be different from others. It would be ridiculous to say, I've set my p-value threshold to p equals point uh, p equals one. Yeah, uh, because I just want to find I just want to declare every single result statistically significant. Like yeah. that would obviously be very silly. Um, 
but you know there might be better justifications for for other ones um anyway neither of those reforms have caught on at all everyone still uses 0.05 basically this discussion was basically ignored by by everyone in in science uh, and you still see papers almost every single paper you see these days sticks to 0.05 so there's a depressing uh, thought for you another thing um which has been catching on more successfully is um pre-registration of uh your hypotheses and your analyses so like if you if you as we've discussed, if you get your big data set and then you just chop it up in any different any way, then if you chop it up in 20 different ways, you are odds on to find a statistically significant result. If, however, you before you collect your data, you say, I'm only going to look at it with these, I'm only going to look at this hypothesis and I'm only going to look uh, and a- analyze my data in this particular way, then you, then you genuinely do all else, you know, it's, it's, you have only a one in 20 chance of getting a false positive if you if you mm-hmm. really stick mm-hmm. to, your, to, to your guns. Now, um, that's it, it's it's hard to people it, it's quite rare it wasn't done at all i think even you know more than about 15 years ago it certainly in social sciences has been in clinical trials up. it was done but that was the only one and now it's kind of slowly spreading to other areas too yeah um and there are it's it's yeah it's it's spreading more and there's there's a particular kind called registered reports which i think you've been uh, a loud advocate for but certainly people mm. like chris chambers at um cardiff have been for years and yes. that that in that um so, uh, scientists and journals agree that they'll pu- agree to publish a study not on the strength of the results but on the strength of the methodology so they say like yeah i will i will put you know i've read how you're going to do the study and assuming you do perform the study as well as you in the same way that you say you will then whether or not it comes back positive or negative we will publish it and so the, the yeah. incentive to p-hack and the incentive to find a statistically significant result is removed because it will get into the scientific literature whatever and that obviously avoids a lot of the 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 bad incentives and the um and the problems of publication bias that's yeah uh, kills kills a lot of these problems uh stone dead really it's a it's a great way again though that particular way of publishing your your research has not caught on like lots of journals offer it but it's still a tiny minority of papers that are published that way. So you know, we can talk about scientific publishing in, in more in detail in future, but that's that's a big thing that still needs to change a lot. Um, yeah. And then there's one more thing that we could do, Tom. What, yeah. what could it possibly be? We could use Bayes, Stuart. We could oh. use Bayesian statistics. Oh. Um, and and uh, the, 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 the objection you will have, and it is a totally reasonable one, um, which you'll read all about in my upcoming book, Everything mm. is Predictable. There we go. Out in April. Um, All good bookshops. Yes, absolutely, and many bad bookshops. I have no doubt. But anyway, the <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the uh, the trouble with that is that when you're trying to work out this this opposite, you, what, as we did, the whole heart of this problem is you are trying to work with with a p value, statistical significance. You are asking in a way the opposite question of the one of the what question you actually want answered. You are not asking how likely is it that my hop- hypothesis is true given this data. You're asking how likely would it be to see this data given the uh, given this hypothesis or the null hypothesis. Now, the trouble is that's not what you want. You want to know really. You want to know how true, how likely it is that the hypothesis is true. That's in an ideal world. That's what you want to know. But in order to do that, you have to to put into the equation that makes it work. You have to have a prior probability. You have to say how likely did I think this was true was to be true in the first place, and of course, if you then go in and say, "Well, I was pretty certain it was going to be true. I was like ninety nine percent sure this was going to be true," then any old crappy little statistically, uh, you know, uh, p value will be enough to keep, you know, to say I'm, I, yeah, that this is probably real. And so there's a it's a it's a genuine and vexed question how you get these priors, these prior probabilities, and if you. Yes. And you know, Stuart will rightly object that there, you know, that, that any any people are going to argue for hours. I mean, about bring subjectivity into somewhere where you don't want it. Yeah, uh, I would argue. That said, right, if you don't use prior, like if in in pharma um, or in 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 any decision theory, in, in all over the place, you'll find people. There is lots of data that exists already, like that you can use and use as a prior. And people do. There's lots. There's lots of it. They're just there are ways around it because otherwise you're leaving all the existing data that has ever been used in the world. Just you're, you're forgetting it exists. And of course, your 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 latest study is then just you're pretending it's the only bit of information in the world. There are ways of doing it, but well, that's I'm not ideally why we have meta analysis. But let's. Tom, not get into this right now yeah. because and, uh, obviously the same problems. If you're going to be dishonest, and if you're trying to p, there, there'll be other there'll be equivalents to p hacking. 
just have to call it something else because you don't use p-values if you yeah it'd be b hacking or something yeah, for exactly. Bayes, uh, analysis yeah yeah so and there's also i've seen some evidence that bayesian methods at least in psychology research the results they find generally like broadly would point in the same direction as as the mm. as the I'm sure the, that's the true. I mean, in the end if your evidence is good it washes uh, out your prize like that yeah that, yeah that. i think you're probably right mm. uh, 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 about that so as we said at the start lots of scientists think statistics is super easy to use and you can just stick to all these kind of old you know rehearsed ways of doing things and uh, uh, and so on but i think we would argue that just needs a little bit of more thought um you need care and context and lots of extra information to really interpret a scientific result and honesty um, you need honesty is that if you need, and also you need, you need a bit of honesty and integrity you need to be, yeah you need to be trying yeah. to find out things that are true rather than trying to get a, a, a result published because it will help you get promoted you know it'll or, help your career yeah, yeah exactly. or it'll help you get so, ted talks you know yeah yes indeed so p-values can be helpful i think but there are lots of ways to misunderstand them and they aren't useful just on their own just sitting there like just knowing that the result is less than 0.05 is not going to help you you need to know more than that to yep. really understand it um so every time you hear us uh, uh talking about statistical significance that's what we mean um when you hear us talking about p hacking that's what we mean uh and as of next week we'll go back into uh yes. some uh less boring dry statistical topics hopefully all hail the reverend thomas bays um anyway uh, <laughs> thanks very much uh, oh, like and subscribe we never did say at the beginning we forgot to say like and subscribe and all that yeah sort of stuff. if you uh, you know um we're, we're uh we're really happy that so many people are are uh, are signing up to subscribe to the podcast both for free and uh the paid subscription um please join them if you haven't already uh give us a give us a, a little comment uh give us a review on apple um podcasts or wherever else you're listening uh we'd love to we'd love to read it and um uh, uh do recommend the podcast to anyone who might be interested in science and statistics and all this kind of stuff um and we'll keep going uh with the, with the podcast in, in 2024 so um see, see you then see you then thanks very much guys bye-bye cheers